I'm John Golia. And I'm Greg Fife. And we are the, the Flight Safety, Safety Detectives. Detectives. We're just two guys who have spent most of their career with the National Transportation Safety Board investigating aircraft disasters and aviation safety issues all over the world. Yep, and this podcast is where we talk about everything from accidents, airplane technology, to the big business of aviation. We live and breathe aviation. My co-host, John, has been in the aviation business for more than 60 years. He was the first and only airframe and power plant mechanic to get a presidential appointment to the National Transportation Safety Board. And Greg is a former air safety investigator and go team captain for the NTSB. He's investigated everything that flies worldwide since he started his career 40 years ago. And on top of that, he is a living legend of aviation inductee. So between John and myself, we have over 100 years of aviation safety experience. It's time to buckle up because it's going to be wheels up. Let's get this show in the air. Well, hello, John. It's another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. I hope you are well. Wherever you may be, I, um, again, just got back from another fun road trip. And, you know, it's it's always interesting. Some of the airline flights that I've been on have been really crowded. And uh, some of them, it's like I have my own personal jet. So uh, it's going to be interesting, I think, coming up um, on the holidays to see how confident people are in air travel. Uh, you know, I, I think you've been traveling as well, haven't you? I was. I was. I, I got back last week. And I have no desire to travel today, I'll tell you, because I've been uh, hearing my neighbors scraping the ice off their vehicles. That's what I love to hear. Yeah, right. Keep it, keep it cold in the Northeast while out here in God's country, it's balmy, it's a blue sky day, and uh, I'm going to go do some stuff outside just because you're stuck inside. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, well, you know, I always try to try to help where I can, buddy. How's aviation life for you? What's been happening? Not much. Not much. I'm staying inside. The, the uh, bad news is, is spreading all around me. Uh, I'm now, the town I live in is now in the red zone. So uh, I'm staying very locked up. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've been locked up. In a number of ways. I mean, uh, it, it's sad when you and I have to travel together because I feel more like uh, your bail bondsman than uh, your partner. So that's always a good thing, I guess. Carry that money, man. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I just I, I think today, you know, we're going to we're going to change the flavor of the show a little bit. We've got a special guest with us who is a a friend of both you and me and uh, and also a colleague and I'll I'll introduce Mark here in a minute but you know one of the things that I've been noticing John from the emails we're getting is that we definitely have a really good cross section of folks that are listening to the show from the non-aviators who are aviation enthusiasts to just people who use aviation as a means of transportation and then of course it's really gotten a good international flavor. Uh, I've been looking at places where we're getting emails from, from India, the UK, New Zealand, Australia, Japan. So I think, uh, John, you're having an effect. So I want you to brush up on all those seven or eight languages you speak fluently, and one of these days we'll, we'll do a show. 
in a foreign I'm challenged tongue. with English. <laughs> yeah, I know that Boston accent might have just a little bit of effect on uh, on your Japanese there. So, without a doubt, without a doubt. Well, I'd like to remind everybody that uh, the show is being brought to you by both PAMA, the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, and by Avemco Insurance. So all of our listeners out there that are pilots, if you're looking to renew your policy or if you're looking to uh, become a new aircraft owner and have new insurance, give Avemco a call. Mention to them that that, uh, you listen to flight safety detectives and you can get a 5% discount on your insurance. And you can reach Avemco through their website, avemco.com, and actually backslash flight safety. Or you can give them a call at 888-879-0389. I'm so glad that this is such a polished show. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that I've seen in some of the, the comments are people they believe that they're sitting right with us in the same room because we don't polish this show. We just talk. If there's a mistake, it just keeps going. So uh, we have, we appreciate uh, the fact that uh, people appreciate the way we do the show. It's a fireside chat to educate folks uh, that listen to our show. We, uh, we try to, as we've always said, and, and really the motto of this show is it's a black and white show with no color in between. There is no fluff. Uh, we're going to tell you the way we think we should be telling the story, give you the backstory, and, um, and you know, a lot of times we're not going to shade it. Um, we call people out. We call organizations out. We have calls to action because we, we believe that with this forum, this is an opportunity not only for us to educate, but to inform and really get people off dead center need to do something to enhance their respective areas of of aviation. And speaking of that, we have a special guest with us today. John and I have known our guest on the show today, Mark Dombroff, who is a partner with Fox Rothschild, a law firm uh, all over the world. But uh, Mark practices out of uh, Virginia, Washington, D.C. area, both you and I, John, have had the uh, the pleasure of, of knowing Mark for a very long time in a variety of our roles when you were with the airline and I was with the NTSB and now in the private sector. And um, it's, uh, it's been you know a great run knowing Mark because he has a, a great dedication to his craft. And that is, while, yes, he is an attorney and there are a lot of attorney jokes and we could make some very smart remarks about our buddy Mark. The one thing that Mark is, is he is a pillar, I think, in the aviation safety community from the litigation side, because he has a passion like you and I to trying to improve aviation safety. And I know that sometimes that's uh, contradictory to that being a, a lawyer. But the big thing is Mark has uh, represented, he's been in aviation I think now, well, let's see, since dirt was formed. So I know that he's uh, he's been around the block quite a long time, but he has made his mark in uh, the aviation industry 
he's represented a, a variety of different airlines, been in, involved in countless numbers of, of litigation from not only airlines, but uh, OEMs and, and other aspects of, of aviation. And he has <laughs> unfortunately allowed us, you and me, into his stable to participate in a program that is uh, going on. I think it started in 2006 where he created a, uh, a symposium to educate airlines, insureds, and, and others to a variety of things going on in aviation, but specifically we've been doing a lot of emergency response in these recent symposiums. And you and I have had the opportunity and the honor to, uh, to participate almost every year until Mark gets wise and figures out that, you know, he's got the two wrong guys there. So we won't tell him that, but we've had the opportunity to participate in his program. So with all of that, and we can get into a little more with Mark. Welcome, Mark Dumbroff. Glad to have you on the show today. Thank you very much, Greg. John, it's really a great pleasure to be here. I'm tempted uh, to sort of not say anything and just listen to the two of you guys continue to talk about me, but but I obviously am not going to do that. I'm, I'm just very pleased to be joining you guys on this podcast. Yeah, well, the first part of those accolades were okay. The second part, if we keep going, now we start telling the dirt, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually the first one who talks about that dirt relative to me anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, we're glad to have you on the show. I, I think that today, you know, we're trying to bring a little different aspect. John and I have been dissecting accidents and talking safety and talking issues and, and that kind of thing. I believe that while John and I have touched on it on previous shows, I think you bring a good perspective with regard to emergency response. It's a generic term in aviation to most because they really don't understand what emergency response is. And in the context of not only an airline operation, but now in the private sector, that is business, corporate, charter aviation, and even down to the pilot owner of a, a single aircraft where that pilot owner flies the aircraft, having a robust and effective emergency response plan is critical because while we don't, uh, God forbid, hope for an accident, wish for an accident, or, or uh, really are, are hoping that uh, people are doing the right thing, we have seen through a lot of airline accidents that are high visibility that a response to this emergency, not necessarily by the NTSB because they have a, a, a whole different role and mission in the investigation process, but how a operator, that is the airline or a, or a business who operates an airplane, responds not only to participating in an accident, but more so responding to support families of victims that have been involved in these events. And I know through the symposium, Mark, you've, you've tried to do that with your symposium. And then you basically were the brainchild behind a spinoff organization that I'm honored to be part of, and that's called Arrow. 
the Aviation Emergency Response Organization. So can you give us just a little sense of um, emergency response and, and how you see it from not necessarily just the litigation side, but why it's so important that organizations and even individuals are prepared in some way, shape, or form if something does happen? Sure. We're very fortunate, as uh, both you guys know, in this country to have an extraordinarily safe aviation industry. If we look at the uh, passenger airline segment of the industry, there hasn't been a major catastrophe since 2009 when the uh, Continental Connection Colgan Air aircraft crashed up in uh, Buffalo, outside Buffalo, New York. I think it was Clarence Corner. So since 2009, while certainly we've had some events, there have been some cargo and uh, carrier events. There was uh, one airline event that involved one fatality, but the airplane itself landed safely without any other issues. We just have an extraordinarily safe industry, and that's both a blessing clearly for the industry and the traveling public, and it's in some respects almost a curse because the possibility of an event as much as every operator of aircraft feels it's not going to be them, it'll be the other guy that has it, the recognition that every operator feels that way and they're all pointing the finger at one another, it won't be me, it'll be you, really does drive the industry to prepare itself in the event it is the one that has it. The other thing is about this uh, incredible safety record is that it's resulted in very little and in many instances, no hands-on experience residing within the company. And this is even the major airlines with respect to people who've actually been there and done that. Emergency response becomes a training exercise. Pull the emergency response plan off the bookshelf or bring it up on the computer. Uh, go through a tabletop drill once a year and then put it back uh, for another year and hoping, obviously hoping and operating under the premise that there isn't going to be an issue. And I think every event that you and I and John have ever been involved in was one that wasn't supposed to occur and nobody expected, and that's the nature of accidents. And that's true whether you're a passenger airline, a cargo operator, a corporate operator, whatever segment of the industry you're in. We started the symposium, Greg, 14 years ago, and uh, February 2021 is going to be our 15th year, February 2nd through 4th, 2021. Uh, the whole premise of me starting it was exactly what I just laid out. Back then, the uh, industry had an improved safety record, and it became evident to me when I attended a program out at the NTSB Academy in Ashburn, Virginia, that there wasn't any longer any institutional memory or experience, more accurately, residing within the operators. Uh, people had retired, people had moved on to other careers, they'd moved to other places in the company. So you really didn't have people dealing with emergency preparedness who'd been there and done that, much less really knew what happened. They knew what the book said, they knew what the procedures said, and so forth. So we started the symposium to talk about what really happens after an accident. And it's not just the accident investigation, but the FAA's issues associated with looking at regulatory violations, civil litigation, the 24-7 news cycle, the fact that there's certainly a district attorney or a state's attorney or somebody out there looking if they can get their 15 minutes in the spotlight. Fortunately, we don't criminalize accidents in this country, but somebody's always looking at it after an aviation accident. 
you have the ownership financial markets that are impacted you have the customers obviously the customers that are impacted you have the current and former employees so there's all of these stakeholders that are affected and so we set out 14 years ago to sort of lay out what really happens and help companies at all levels understand with respect to emergency preparedness how all these moving pieces fit together and that's particularly true in a segment of the industry you talk about and that's corporate and business aviation where you know you're talking about a corporation that operates aircraft they own operate or lease airplanes as an adjunct to their business it's like the computer it's like the copy machine it's not their business they manufacture something or they provide a service and the airplane is simply another business tool so they're not in the aviation business per se and they may not have the same level of awareness and preparedness as an airline has or a cargo operator has whose business is aviation with respect to emergency preparedness. Yeah. And a lot of this came to light. We've seen it over the years. Like I said, you've been around since dirt. So, you know, you, you've got a lot of experience in, uh, in the aviation business, even though you're still a young man. But when we look at this issue of emergency response and, of course, the response by the organization, I think a lot of it came to light. We always knew it was going on behind the scenes, but I think TWA 800 really brought a focus to the response that was expected by family members or victims, uh, families, because they weren't getting information. The NTSB was doing the investigation. They were trying to disseminate information, but they basically did it on their schedule and, and families and, and even the, the, the corporation to an extent or the airline to an extent wasn't getting timely information that they could disseminate to, to keep people informed. And in fact, TWA 800, it got so bad and so highly publicized that President Clinton ended up stepping in. When we look at uh, a, a, an emergency response program, how is it that we should form or at least build an effective response program? Because there's a lot of listeners out there that, uh, that probably are flying not only for the airline, but business aviation charter mm -hmm. operators. And again, I mean, for me, I mean, I own an airplane, I fly myself, but if, God forbid, something happens, what is my family going to do who has no understanding about aviation? Where did they start? So I've tried to educate and, and lay out a plan so that they at least know people to call to help them through this process. I, I think you, you raise a really good point. Let's focusing on the business, corporate, non-airline universe of aviation the airlines are uh, in many respects sort of the model in terms of emergency preparedness and response they all have relatively sophisticated structures procedures processes in place they have both with respect to the go team the airline employees who will travel to the scene and be part of the ntsb investigation part of the party system and and then the family assistance uh, and support team or exercise, the, the group of employees that have been specially trained to 
work with passengers' families and focus on the human side of it. And as you correctly point out, Greg, and as John is acutely aware, the NTSB has an Office of Transportation Disaster Assistance, and that's an outgrowth of a piece of legislation called the Family Assistance Act, and it was really focused on the airline industry. But every operator, whether you're a charter operator you're a, uh, a corporate operator should have an emergency response plan. And really, it can be modeled after an airline plan. The scale is certainly not going to be the same. The resources may not be the same. And the in-house expertise won't necessarily be there. The airlines have the in-house expertise, technically and otherwise. But take any corporation. They have a human resources department, uh, typically, or function. They have a media function. If they have an in-house uh, uh, aviation department, they're going to have operational capabilities and expertise. They're going to likely uh, have maintenance people or no maintenance people that they utilize in terms of the fleet of airplanes. So a lot of the pieces, not all the pieces are present in the corporate business aviation world, but a lot of the pieces are. So the question is really adapting an emergency response plan. And when I say a plan, I literally mean a plan that involves a, uh, a written set of procedures, checklists for each of the functions, a checklist, for example, for the uh, legal function in the corporation, a checklist for the media function, the public relations function, a checklist for the uh, operational side of the aviation, the, the investigators or the, the, or the people that participate in the NTSB investigation, and um, sort of a by-the-numbers checklist uh, as to what each person's function is. And the reason that's so important, and it really has to be exercised at a minimum on an annual basis, and in today's virtual world, every company, every airline, every client that I touch or every aviation entity that I touch, I strongly urge them to have a, a training exercise tabletop drill taking into account the virtual world. But a, a corporation uh, should, at a minimum on an annual basis, have a tabletop exercise with a hypothetical event. Their airplane either uh, goes off the runway at XYZ Airport or a catastrophic accident with the chairman of the board on board or the, the, uh, the president or, or uh, the customers on board, and then talking about all of the various aspects of, of how this thing unfolds. Now, one of the things I know that you guys do in your sort of private roles is you advise and counsel and, and provide input to companies just like that as to who should do what and how it's going to unfold. The one thing that all the listeners have to appreciate is, and I, I've described it, you guys have heard me describe it, is when the accident occurs, it's like lots of railroad trains leaving the station all at once. One of them is the accident investigation. One is going to be civil litigation. One is going to be an FAA investigation. Some of them may not travel very far, but they all start. One may be that DA or that prosecutor who sees if they can prosecute somebody, hopefully historically not in the U.S. Then you've got the, you know, the other stakeholders, the 24-7 news cycle. They love a good aviation accident. You've got the employees, the shareholders, and so forth and so on. And those trains do not wait for anybody. So if the company 
doesn't have some idea as to what's going to happen if their worst day presents itself, they're going to be playing catch-up from the beginning, and that is not a place to be when you have, essentially, a smoking hole in the ground, Greg. Yeah. Well, you know, Mark, there's, there's uh, a few other pieces in that. In the work that I do, writing response plans or checking other people's response plans, and in the corporate side, dealing with them with their Argus certification, the Argus people require you to have, if for corporate operators, require you to have a emergency response plan, and they require you to drill it, but they themselves don't drill down inside that plan, and it needs to be robust. You know, what do you do if you're running a, a corporate operator or a charter operator, and you just sent an airplane to India, and one of your crew members dies, either in route or on the ground while it's in that country? Do you have a plan to cover that? What about their family? What about bringing the body back? That's all needs to be in that plan for corporate operators that really isn't in the airline plan in the same way that a corporate operator could use it. So they need to be look at it a little differently. An emergency response plan needs to be considered as a brand protection program. You're going to protect your company from all these possible events, whether it's a pandemic or it's a, it's a an attack on your airplane in some of these countries where they're unstable or something unexpected happens to the crew or passengers on your airplane. There's so many facets of an emergency response plan that 99% of our corporate operators that I see have no clue about the need. I think you're absolutely right, John. That's been my experience. And I think a lot of it is a function of the fact that when you're talking about aviation operators, airlines, cargo operators, people whose business is flying airplanes, to them, emergency preparedness tends to be something that they're highly sensitive to and they're aware of. When you get into the corporate and business aviation world, where particularly corporate aviation, where companies, as I said, are using airplanes as simply a tool of their business, and their business is focused elsewhere, they don't have that same sensitivity to awareness and sometimes i've seen you guys have seen this where it's hard for the aviation guys that are running the airplanes for the executives within the company to really get the attention of the executives to really focus on exactly what you're talking about john in terms of the procedures the plans the uh, annual drills and, and so forth so there is still a challenge in that area and there's a couple a couple of aspects, Mark, in talking about business, uh, corporate aviation. We've seen over the years, unfortunately, Kodak had seven of their executives killed in a single airplane accident. And, and of course, that in and of itself, that's the management team that mm-hmm. devastates a company. So when, when we talk about branding, and, and as John mentioned, brand imaging, it's not that the company needs to have a, a plan to protect, you know, the company from litigation. It's more about protecting the brand because if you lose a management team in an aviation accident, what effect is that going to have on the operation of the company and, of course, the stock and its image and everything else? That, that has to be dealt with because it, it's running in parallel with the investigation that's going on as to why 
that airplane crash and why those executives were were killed. And so a company has to be prepared to answer to the public. This is what's going on. We have a flight department. We have this many employees, this kind. We, we fly these airplanes. We're participating with the NTSB, working with them hand in hand, and business will go on. And, and so there's a lot of moving pieces in this dynamic, as you described with the trains. There's a lot of things going on. And if a company doesn't have that plan, both for domestic operation and, as John mentioned, an international operation where all the rules change with the, in the regard of participation in an accident investigation, how do you repatriate bodies when you have to bring them back into the country, or even if you have a benign event, where something's happened overseas, who's going to protect that $40 uh-huh. million or $50 million asset that's sitting on a ramp in Mumbai? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you can't do that on the fly. It is just too complex, too dynamic. And like you said, Mark, you have to have a plan. You cannot try and figure it out on the fly. Engine start panel, crank it aboard. Fire handles. Well, one of the things I, I tell you, both... Yeah, you know, really have hit some hot-button areas in terms of acting, uh, operating outside the United States. We have a client that uh, is a global operator, and, and they'll fly into 50 or 60 different countries. And their business is focused on flying. But one of the things we've done for them is we have put together a global response plan. Not just an accident response plan, but a global response plan. And we compile and update on a regular basis the regulations, procedures, processes for every country into which they operate and all the points of contact and have assisted them in identifying the resources that will be needed if, heaven forbid, something happens in that country. So let's take that principle. Now, obviously... You know, if I'm a corporate operator, if I'm an XYZ corporation and my business is making widgets, the sort of the classic widget, whatever that may be, and I have customers in various countries and I will on occasion fly to those various countries, the fact is that that, that widget manufacturer can do, the, the flight department can do exactly the same thing I just described, but do it on a scale that suits their business. Before that airplane ever leaves the United States with the executives on board or whomever is on board, the folks responsible for the aviation aspects of the operation can know exactly what the rules, the regulations, the processes, the procedures, the points of contact for that country are. So if they get that call that says there's a problem, the airplane's off the end of the runway, the airplane has crashed, We've had these injuries, whatever. It's not a function of starting from square one. They've already got all the information. They really know who to reach out to. We, for example, for another client, have put together a global network of legal counsel. And not just law firms. It's easy to identify law firms all over the world. It's a function of identifying the lawyer that we want to call when our client's airplane is sitting off the end of the runway with the nose gear, you know, two feet into the mud or something, which is an actual circumstance we had. And the lawyer got there, the local lawyer in Kazakhstan got there pretty much before the investigators got there. And we were fortunate with that network in place 
to be able to not only get the airplane out of the mud, but get the airplane and the crew out of the country. And that... And one of those things, Mark, that you bring up with the with having an event in a foreign country is the fact that it's happened in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. Where the rules are so much different than here in the United States. And for these folks, and, and I've dealt with it, I'm sure John has dealt with it as well, and I know you've run across it, and that is the assumption that if you're an operator here in the United States flying to a foreign country, that if something does happen they're going to react with an organization similar to the NTSB in the same way the board does. And that's simply not true because in some foreign countries, an accident is a a criminal act. And if you're a flight crew and you survive, you could find yourself in jail waiting. And I know that Aero, the aviation emergency response organization that we've talked about before that uh, was a spinoff and you've created that, they're having a um, a webinar on Tuesday, November 17th, which is coming up. And in that particular webinar, one of the participants, David Rimmer, was on an airplane that was involved in a mid-air collision in South America where the flight crew of the corporate airplane, the airplane was still controllable. They were able to put it on the ground safely, unfortunately, a 737 full of people was lost in Brazil. But that flight crew ended up being under basically house arrest for almost three months, if I remember correctly. And you have to have that contingency plan if that were to happen, because the rest of the world doesn't operate the way we do. You're exactly right. That accident is sort of the the classic example of what could happen. You know, frequently one of the first questions I get asked, whether it's by an airline which flies, you know, globally or a business operator, charter operator that flies globally, is um, what happens if we have an accident or an event outside the United States where the criminalization of aviation accidents is, I will say, common and tends to be, in, in many respects, the rule rather than the exception. What happens if our flight crew survives? What do we do? Do, do we uh, keep them there? Do we leave them there? Do we get them out of the country? And typically my starting point in giving advice is we'll operate with the premise that we're getting them out of the country right away. Won't make perhaps the host country real excited or real happy. It may not make the NTSB or U.S. Department of State real happy, but we'll have our crew members back in the United States where we can make them available for interviews or whatever is needed. Now, that's the starting point because when you are a corporation, when, you, when you're when you a global company and you're doing business all over the world, one of the considerations you have to take into account in that scenario is do you have other employees in that country and is there going to be some sort of payback for getting your crew out of the country? Yeah. So, you know, there's all these moving parts and, and, you know, a discussion or an issue of what do you do with respect to the crew is something that shouldn't wait until the question in real life has presented itself. And you alluded to it, the the issue of language difficulties, of cultural difficulties. What happens if the corporation doesn't have its own employees on the ground there? Who is going to immediately respond? And these are things that that airlines, um, because their business is airplanes and they fly regularly if they're a scheduled carrier regularly all over the world, if they're a charter carrier, in some respects, 
they confront the same challenges as the corporate operator sure. because they're going where the charter calls for. But these questions in these areas should never be addressed after the problem presents itself, just like sure. as it relates to meeting you know, John and you or meeting me. Aviation companies should meet, never meet us after the accident, if that can possibly <laughs> be avoided. That's the yeah. worst time. Absolutely. Um, yes. You know, to try to build that rapport, build that confidence with somebody like you or John or me that's been there, that's done that, and and is looking at protecting their brand and relying upon advice we give, that's a tough relationship to build yeah. after the event occurs when so many forces are tugging at them. Yeah. Well, Tell us about Arrow, because I know that Arrow is going to try to address uh, some of these questions in the webinar. Can you just give us a flavor for sure, what's coming up sure. on November 17th? Sure. November 17th, there's the uh, Arrow webinar on emergency response in the pandemic era, as well as in the post-pandemic era, and it's focused on business and corporate aviation, um, and to be distinguished from the passenger carrier, the the large cargo carrier, but I think many of the same techniques and principles and considerations are going to be presented, but the emphasis is going to be on the business and corporate operator. The Arrow is really, it's a nonprofit, it's an information exchange group, and it's comprised of every segment of the aviation industry, from the first responders to the airports, manufacturers, maintenance repair overhaul facilities, cargo operators, charter operators, 121 operators. It's got foreign aviation industry, airline members, domestic members. The NTSB has been active in it. The FAA is active in it. So it's a real cross-section, and, and it's meant to provide a free, open forum for representatives from these various segments of the industry to sort of pick one another's brains and rely upon one another if one of them has a problem. The webinar is uh, going to be chaired by a fellow named Mark Saney, who is the head of the aviation operation for Coca-Cola Consolidated. I think it's Coca-Cola Bottling Consolidated. Yeah. One of the largest uh, Coca-Cola bottlers in the country. And Mark runs their aviation operation, and they have two aircraft in their fleet full-time. David Wimmer, who you mentioned, David is presently the president of Talon Air Jet, and they manage a corporate fleet of over 40 airplanes for operators, and they fly all over the world with those airplanes. Brent Fife, um, somebody that uh, John Golia knows well, is a panelist. Barb Webster from Go Crisis, who are uh, emergency response counselors, company, support company, global, based out of London. Barb is the executive vice president for the Americas, is going to be a, a, a panelist. I'm going to be a panelist, and I missed somebody, I think. I can't think of, oh, David Wimmer, uh, who you mentioned. Yeah. David is presently the president. I think I mentioned him, president yeah. of Talent Air Jet. And David has the distinction of not only running an aviation operation, but having survived a mid-air collision. So he's responded to the event from both inside as well as outside, since he was also at that time the executive vice president of the uh, company that was operating the the jet that was in the mid-air collision, the biz jet that was in the mid-air collision. 
And the target, the real focus, is going to be on business and corporate aviation. Greg, did I name everybody? Uh, I believe you did. I think yes. I did. Yeah. Well, the, the big thing for our, for our listeners is uh, that uh, it's going to be very informative. And as Mark always presents, I mean, this is the biggest draw, especially for the symposium that he holds in February. And that is, it's free. <laughs> it's free. It's free. And and you can register by going to the Aero website. It's www.aviationemergency.org. And it's free. And membership, if, you, if your listeners are not members of Aero, I really strongly endorse their membership. The one thing I've noticed, you guys have all noticed this over your careers and our respective careers together, is that one thing that brings together the aviation industry, these you know, passenger carriers may compete heavily against one another, cargo carriers, but when one of the carriers, one of the operators at any level in any phase of the industry has a problem of the type we're talking about, the industry really does close ranks to support the company that's involved. And I think Aero is a, a wonderful organization, and it's particularly good for business and corporate operators who don't necessarily have the large trade associations or the kinds of relationships that an airline may have regarding emergency response. And there's so much by way of resource and access to people available through Aero. So I'd strongly recommend it to everybody. I get great pleasure out of seeing an idea I had sort of take off um, and being uh, embraced by members of the industry. What was that website again so everybody has it? Yeah, it's www.aviationemergency.org is the Aero website. There's lots of good information as well as links to their other uh, webinars there. So I really strongly endorse Aero membership and, and, and attending. You don't have to be a member, by the way, to attend the webinar. They really are a public service type of organization for the aviation industry. And Ian McAllister is going to be a... Uh, Ian is, I knew I were forgetting somebody. Yeah. Ian yeah. is, the way I describe it, like many of us, third-party providers to the aviation industry. They are a company that assists both before the fact and after the fact companies that find themselves confronted with real live aviation emergencies. They help with the preparation. They help with the response. So, yes, uh, if Ian listens to this uh, web this podcast, I uh, I apologize for not thinking of him right away. Thank you, Greg. Yeah, no, I, I was running it through my head. Since, uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting ready for it on Tuesday. So. And then lastly, with regard to your forum that you hold in February, the target audience for that, and is that an invite only or is it open? Uh, it's open. It's interesting. When I started the symposium uh, in 2006, and this will be our 15th year, I thought that we'd have 20 or 25 people. I could hold it in our conference room. We had 40 people. We had to get a small meeting room at a hotel. The last few years, we've had over 500 registrants from every segment of the aviation industry. It's February 2nd through 4th. It is going to be a virtual event, and we're taking advantage of that fact by reason of the, the sort of the centerpiece presentation, the morning 
or I'll say about two-thirds of the day of February 3rd, Wednesday, February 3rd, is going to be on emergency response. I hesitate to say a drill or an exercise or a tabletop. We're going to have a response. We're going to have on video, through video link-ups, just like you would have right now if a company had an accident, the corporate command center, the GO team on site. We're going to have the families or family assistance function. They're attending virtually. We're going to build in all the difficulties associated with it, all the unique considerations. And so I'm pretty excited about it. And uh, if you want to, there's further information. If you go to our blog, www.plainly, P-L-A-N-E hyphen L-Y spoken slash Fox Rothschild. And an easy way to go is just go to foxrothschild.com, our law firm, and uh, put in aviation in, in the tab. And then there's all yeah. sorts of resources. And you go to our blog, just click on our blog. I think registrations are opening December, if I'm not mistaken, 15th. We just put another invite, save the date out for, it just came out this, I think yesterday, as a matter of fact. And we don't charge anybody anything. If you happen to be a lawyer, this program is CLE approved, so you That's can get good. credit. Yeah, we're going to have panels on the COVID-19 crisis and lessons to be learned. We're going to have our annual FAA NTSB panel talking about what the industry can expect in 2021, which is obviously a question that everybody within the industry is asking itself anyway on any number of levels. We're, we're going to have a panel on uh dealing with whistleblowers in the aviation industry. Oh, that'll, that'll be interesting. It's always an issue, as you know, as you guys yeah. know. And it's particularly sort of, you know, focusing on John's area of expertise, the, the maintenance area. You know, the maintenance area is frequently one that gives rise to whistleblowers. And as we all know, after an accident, frequently whistleblowers start to surface. I told them it was going to happen or, you know, people who used to work for the company who assert they left because nobody listened to them. So we're going to be exploring the whole area of how companies can protect themselves in these situations. Well, that's great. Well, I know that having um, been a participant in that forum, and I'm looking forward to to participating on Tuesday as well. You always put on a good program. The organizations do a great job in putting together content, uh, a very packed agenda, but I think that all the people I've ever talked to that have attended find it extremely beneficial because it is an educational tool. We try to bring up stuff by your entertaining questions, Mark. You always keep us entertained when uh, when you bring up these subjects to to get to the point. That is the backstory, the things that you aren't going to read in a very canned emergency response program or or see on the front side of a news story we, we you try to bring it you know bring out the backstory and and that's what uh, i think is the most value when it comes to an education so we appreciate both i know that uh, that my friend john He's, he's expressed his his opinions in the in the forum occasionally and of course we love to throw some hand grenades every once in a while just to get people thinking well I'm looking forward to having both of you on panels this February 
Um, I, I don't want to embarrass you by having to extend, you know, any other invitation. Thank you very much for accepting my non-extended invitation. <laughs> I'm really, I'm, I'm really looking forward, you know, because you guys, you guys are part of that uh, group out there that recognize and have experience with the fact that, yeah, yeah, that's what the book says. This is what the procedures say. This is what the regulations say. Now let me tell you how this really works in real life. And that's what, that's the unique element that um, I think all of us, and certainly in our symposium, we try to bring to the industry how it, what really happens after yeah. the accident. And I think that's what sort of you know caused us to be able to have 15 years of this event. That's great. Well, we really appreciate you taking time to, uh, to come on the show, Mark. I hope that folks that have been listening and are listening will attend. And again, the forum that's going to, or the webinar that's going to happen on uh, the 17th, if I remember right, it's going to be recorded. So it will be available through the Arrow website for later viewing if you miss it. That's correct. And Arrow not only puts the recording up on the Arrow website, um, but it also puts the PowerPoints up. So the full package is available if somebody, one, is unable to attend. But two, even more importantly, if they attend and it's something that they feel their colleagues within the company should should have access to. All the information is available. Outstanding. Well, thank you again, my friend. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. And I know that I speak for uh, John, even though he's sitting there listening. <laughs> we do appreciate it. And uh, we know your value in the industry. So thank you again for uh, for being on the show today with us. Thank you, guys. And one thing, I, I cannot end this without extending my uh, congratulations to John as the recipient of a very prestigious award from the Flight Safety Foundation. Well done, John, and even more importantly, well-deserved. Thank you very much for that, Mark. Yeah, well, that's why I keep them around, Mark. You know? <laughs> I mean, somebody's got to draw attention to this show, so... The more awards he wins, uh, the, the bigger draw we have. Now, it's, a, it's an honor to be uh, co-hosting with John. We've had a, uh, in one of these days, we're going to do a podcast where we're going to tell our backstory of how, how we got together because that, that in and of itself is pretty entertaining. But, uh, no, it is an honor. And we hope that uh, our listeners have benefited today from uh, this discussion. And, again, we encourage you. There are a lot of resources out there to answer questions, and I think that forums like what Mark puts on both for the Airline Symposium in February and the Aero webinar that's coming up on November 17th are just perfect examples of the tools that are out there, the free information that uh, that can be had so that a any kind of flight department, whether you're an airline or a private operator, you can benefit from this information, and of course, the folks that are participating are experts in their field, and there's an opportunity then to explore further, if you need it, getting on board with an emergency response plan, finding people that can help you write the, the response plan. And I know that, John, in your business, and as well as me, in my business, because I do the same thing, I, I create emergency response plans, I review them, I exercise them. And we see that a lot of programs that are bought through various companies, those plans are put on the shelf, and the exercise of that plan 
happens when the event happens rather than periodically. So I know that this is valuable and you bring a lot of value to it. You've talked about it in the past on the show. You know, people think that emergency response plans just stay the same year after year, but they don't. It needs to be not only a living document, it needs to be a document that recognizes all the changes in society and all the changes that are going on with people today. It really needs to be reviewed and exercised, at least annually. I like to, with my customers, I like to to, uh, do it piece by piece quarterly, and the, and the fourth quarter is the, the entire drill, just like it is unannounced. You know, 9 o'clock in the morning, they said, okay, we just had an accident. What are we going to do? And it's, it's not announced, and uh, you'd be surprised what kind of issues come up with that. A lot of people get their eyes open. Exactly, and, and the insurance companies are, are a big part of these emergency response plans. That's my segue for you talk about our sponsor before we close the show, John. Yes, so we are bringing the show today by our sponsor of Emco Insurance, and they have been passionate about safety for 60 years. And they sponsor the FAA's Fast Team, Wings programs, the list goes on and on, as well as our show. So if you're out there looking to renew a policy, or if you recently purchased an airplane, please give Emco a call at 888-879-0389 or visit them on their website at avemco.com. And if you mention flight safety detectives, you will get a 5% discount on your, on your policy. I love, I love discounts. So that's uh, it's great that our sponsor does that. So we, we greatly appreciate that. And we appreciate you, the listeners, please continue to uh, contact us via our email, which is flightsafetydetectives at gmail.com. We appreciate the feedback, the interest, and if you have further questions regarding today's show or uh, any of the other shows where we can direct you to people that we've talked about, organizations that we've mentioned, drop us an email and we can give you the specific contact information as well. So, my friend, it's uh, it's always good to do a show with you. I uh, I say it every time we we talk in this COVID period, and that is, I can't wait to get back in the studio with you where we can duke it out and hopefully uh, we'll record it so people can actually watch us duke it out when we talk about issues. That'll be on our YouTube channel when uh, when we are together in studio. But uh, I know that you're going to stay safe because I plan to stay safe. I'm still traveling as well as you, and I know the holidays are coming up based on the recording of this particular show. So with all of that being said, I I want our listeners to stay safe. And I know that, John, you always get the last word, so I'm giving that to you. Okay, so please, everybody out there, we seem to be in a period of time where the pandemic is uh, coming back with, with a vengeance, it appears, at least in my piece of the country. So please, in your personal life, stay safe. Wash your hands. Wear the mask. Don't eat indoors in a restaurant. I mean, there's enough information out there so that you can stay safe. And if you do fly, please fly safely. To listen to more episodes of the show, go to FlightSafetyDetectives.com or the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association at PAMA.org and wherever you find your favorite podcasts.
catch us next time when John Golia and Greg Fife talk about all things aviation. Thanks for listening.